Justin Frazier is an apartment syndicator, asset manager, and real estate investor responsible for managing multiple apartments across the country. A real estate investor since 2014, when he bought a single-family home as a rental property. For years, Justin flipped houses and owned single-family rentals until May of 2018, when he formed 88 Real Estate Capital and closed on his first apartment syndication, raising over $600,000 for the deal. By September 2018, Justin exited his corporate job as a project manager and jumped full-time into real estate investing. He found some excellent partners and is an active member of six apartment complexes holding over 1,000 units. Justin built an asset management business responsible for running the business of these apartment complexes. He is also the host of True Multifamily, a podcast about the business of apartment investing, showcasing the real work that happens after a deal closes. His goal is to share insights, tips, tricks, and best practices through storytelling by real asset managers and owners. In this episode, we talked to Justin about the partners he had to bring on in order to close on his first large multifamily deal, the details of what's involved with being an asset manager, why he likes it when a tenant skips out on rent, and the key to gaining knowledge in almost every real estate strategy. I'm Neil Henderson, and this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash s. T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Justin Frazier, welcome to the road to family freedom. Thanks for having me, man. I'm I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Honored that you uh, finally made the call and, and got me on the show. <laughs> well, you know, we we were talking I was, just I was before, thrilled when you called. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, just, just before we got on, we were sort of talking about the last time we saw each other was in... Colorado in late February, you know, right before the world completely just came apart. And and for both of us, for a lot of our friends, that was kind of like the last normal weekend of 2020. Feels like a decade ago. It was fun. I'll tell you that we had a good time yeah. uh, in Colorado and at the conference. And it was great to meet you there. And yeah, yeah man, just I, I was just saying that. that was the last time I was on a plane and it's been it's been a long year. But yeah. hey, here we are yep. podcasting about it. So yep. why not? Okay, so before we dig in deeper, can you tell our listeners sort of the quick story about how you got into real estate? Yeah, yeah. I was a project manager at a software company working full time and just moved to a new company and was making a little extra money. And they didn't have much work for me to do like the first two months. Like they was kind of waiting for the next project. And so I started literally at work, like, okay, I'm making a little extra money. It's the first time in my life that I could like actually invest in something. And so I looked into, you know, all the normal stuff. What is stock investing? What is, you know, Bitcoin was at? I was like, man, I probably should have bought some of that. But I found real estate, found bigger pockets and thought, man, okay, that actually sounds like a pretty good idea. Let me find a rental property buy it and just, you know, over the next 30 years, my tenants will pay down that mortgage and I'll have a nice little support for retirement. Like this would be great. Great. And so I put, you know, I think $16,000 down, maybe 20 all in with fees and that on my first house, it was really turnkey and and I rented it and man, right away, I got addicted to that cash flow and thought, this is pretty cool, <laughs> you know? And, and I managed myself and I learned a lot. I was really into like, learning the, the rules and the processes and how to communicate with tenants. And at the end of the day, was pretty excited about the fact that like, yeah, I'm making money, but I'm also providing a nice house for somebody to live in. And so that was pretty interesting to me. But unfortunately, I was out of money because I put all my, my new money into that first deal. So that's how I got started with the single family. And then I you know just started bringing on partners and learning. Since I was out of money, I had to learn how to raise money and do seller finance deals and private loans and 
and really get creative in in how I did my next deal because as soon as that those checks started coming in, I realized like I gotta I gotta do more of this, and um, so it forced me to figure out how to be creative. Gotcha. So, how many single family homes did you buy before you got into multifamily? Three single family rentals and one flip and one wholesale. Was it just the fact that you were out of money that sort of forced your hand to learn a new strategy, or was there something more? Well, you mean getting into multifamily? Correct. Um, so, multifamily. I was hosting. I, I was. I had my three singles. I was hosting a meetup in my town and uh, a friend of mine came and was speaking about the 49 unit deal that he had just closed on and really case, but case study, like step-by-step to explain it. And even though I had heard it before and he was speaking to the audience, I was like, man, it just clicked that day. All right. Why? I'm, I'm like busting my butt to find the next single family house in my market. It's like, going to be $70,000. I'll make like one or $200 a month from this thing. Like there's no way I'm quitting my job. Like how many of these do I have to do to quit my job and do real estate? How many times do I have to get so lucky and find the right house? So I realized like, no, that's, that's the way to do it. Like, let's go buy a 49 unit. Let's do something like what he's doing and uh, see if we can make this thing work. So that was sort of the, the impetus was just like just time and availability you know, I, I did not have kids at the time, but was starting to think about it with the wife and then uh, was also just thinking about my return on my time. You know, I've said this a couple of times to people and I've, I've had some people agree with me and I've had some people smack me down on this, which is that really at a certain level, buying a single family home is almost as easy as buying multifamily. I mean, I know it's different. It's just the numbers are bigger and you're, you're operating at scale. So which is yeah, it? Are you going to smack I, me I down? I agree or you and agree? disagree with you <laughs> in certain aspects. So the, the idea, the idea that we all only have so much time in our day, what was I doing? How was I spending my days? I was working during the day. I was running the numbers on everything on Zillow, everything my agent was sending me at night and my lunch break and taking an extra 20 minutes in the car and like whatever I had to, I was driving for properties. I was looking at the numbers and my weekends were spent in a lot of dirty basements, you know, evaluating a lot of properties. And at some point you realize like, okay, all this work is great. And like you, everyone has to go through it. You have to go through the work, but then what's the payoff and what does that pay off in proportion to the time and energy that I'm putting in? For me, I thought that I would achieve better returns, more returns by putting that time and energy into learning multifamily. And instead of just looking in my circle around my house, start looking at multifamily deals and figuring out the business side of it. And how can I bring some pieces together, like money, like deals, experience? How do I take all those things and then go buy a property? And that just seemed a lot more exciting to me than you know, $200 a month from a single family. It is addictive. You know, I mean, when you start with a single family homes, you, you get one, you get two, you get three. And it's like, you watch, you know, we've got a bank account that's devoted to that. And we don't honestly don't even touch it. The money just keeps growing and growing. And I kind of look at it as it's like someone else is saving money for me. Oh yeah. You know, they're, they're basically contributing to the savings account. I mean, we're saving money as well, but that's, what's so addictive about it. So talk to us about that first real multifamily that you ended up buying. Yeah, of course. So the first multifamily was a 40 unit deal. I was looking for 50. My target goal was 50 units somewhere within six to eight hours of driving distance from my house. I didn't want to fly because I didn't want to invest in plane tickets. Honestly, I felt like my first deal, I'm going to be there a lot. Like I don't want to be flying back and forth and who knows if you know it's even going to be a deal. So I figured driving I can do, could knock out a six, eight hour drive in one day, come back the next day. So I was looking in all markets, like secondary tertiary markets within an eight hour driving distance of me. And I'm in New Jersey. So, you know, New York, no, right? But Philadelphia, no. But Harrisburg, Pittsburgh, Syracuse, then down south, Richmond, Virginia, Portsmouth, Norfolk, Virginia, Hampton Roads area. And so ultimately I found, you know, building relationships with brokers and I found a a deal in Portsmouth, Virginia, which is in the Hampton Roads area, just in from Virginia Beach. And so 
the broker called because I had seen him three or four times already in person. We walked a lot of deals together. I made some offers, things, you know, they, they had not worked out, but he called me and he said, Justin, this is everything that you've been looking for. It's, it's in the price range you want. It needs the level of work you want. It's mismanaged. Like everything that you're saying you want in a deal, this is it, except it's 40 units instead of 50 units. And I was like, great. So I took a vacation day from work. That was Thursday, he called. So Monday, I was in Virginia looking at this deal, you know, on vacation from work. And it took a while, you know, to get it under contract, get it closed. But but eventually, I got it done. So, you know, I don't know how, how in detail you want me to go, but I had to raise money. I did. It was a syndication. So because I didn't have the money I needed to, to do this deal. I also didn't have the experience <laughs> that I need to do this deal. So I had to go find the money to do it. I had to find someone that had the experience to do it. I had to find the balance sheet from someone that had a higher balance sheet than I did. And all the pieces I needed to do a deal of that size, I had to go get from other people. But what I did have was the drive and the ability, since I was project manager, pretty good at organizing people. So I had the ability already to to take what I need from over here and over there, piece together a team and get the project done. Gotcha. And do you mind us asking for details on the numbers? Sure. Yeah. Was, we bought it? it for two, two and a quarter million. And I put $300,000 into it. So we raised uh, $660,000. And that was all from my network, people that I worked with, people that came to my RIA meetings, my networking meetings, people that I just knew in life all believed in me and put their money into the deal. Gotcha. And did you end up having to, did you put any of your own money into the deal? By that point, I had saved up another forty or fifty thousand dollars, and that's all in the deal as well. So, gotcha. anything that I had made from my my previous deals was in as far as earnest money, deposits, paying the attorneys, paying the, those upfront fees and costs were were all into the deal. Yep. So it's two point five million, and you said you had to, there was capex on that. So it's two and a quarter. Yep, and we put in another three hundred thousand dollars. We had to renovate all the uh, units and do a whole bunch of the HVACs. They all need to be replaced. Not all, but most of them need to be. 30 of the 40 had to be replaced. Wow. So we spent a lot of money replacing HVACs and we spent a lot of money renovating apartments. When was that? The This was in 2018. 18? Yeah. 20. Just trying to get a, a feel eight, for the. May of 2018. So we're two and a half, little, almost three years into this. Gotcha. So you had to, you had to raise the capital. Yep. You had to find a, a key principal to, with the net worth to sign on the loan. Was it non-recourse loan or a recourse? Recourse. Recourse. And yep. then did you have to bring on a, an experienced partner to make the bank happy? Yeah. So actually the, it, it went in reverse of that. So the experience was what I needed first because the brokers that I was working with, Asked me the same question you asked me. What what kind of real estate do you own? What, what's your portfolio like? And I said, I got three single families and I flipped a house, you know? And they're like, well, that doesn't translate to this 96 unit that you just put an offer on or this 110 unit or this 60 unit. Like, they're like, what are you doing here? So yeah. very early on, I realized like, yeah, I need some help. So I went back to... Matt, who was the initial guy who presented at that meeting a year before that 49 unit and said, look, I'm going to go do this, but I need some help from the experience side of things and I need your experience, credibility, and I need you to answer the phone when I'm like freaking out and you can, you know, keep me on, keep me on the right path here. I didn't want to ask, you know, we didn't, he wasn't going to raise for me. He was not going to sign on any loan documents. The argument was just credibility and, and guidance in the process. And so that was the first thing. So that at least instead of me with my three units, it was we with our 250 some units that you know combined. So we looked a lot stronger as we were presenting offers. And suddenly brokers were much more willing to talk to me and, and show me properties when I said I was representing our ownership group and visiting and touring and all that. Gotcha. So, so once I had the experience, then we could put the offer in. And I thought that was it. I thought I was gonna be okay. But once we got into the, you know, the details with the bank and they vetted me, they said, look, you qualify fine, but 
I think my raise was 900,000. And they said, look, we, we will actually loan you more money on this deal, but we won't loan it to you. We will loan it to you and someone else if you look a little stronger. And so uh, it actually made the numbers look a lot better to raise a little more, a little more leverage on the deal. So I brought in a key principal who allowed us to, the bank gave us another $300,000. So instead of having to raise 960, I was raising 660. Gotcha. And that allowed us to finish the raise faster and just just overall, I mean, just gave more health and strength to the property anyway, by having another principal on the deal. And look, a lot of people get hung up on the fact that you have to bring on these people and that, yeah, you have to give up equity for this stuff. But I never had the idea that I was going to get rich and sit on my yacht from this 40 unit deal, right? My mindset was, this is like an educational thing for me. This is how I'm going to learn how to do this. And then I'm going to go buy much bigger properties. And so that was really the mindset all along. And I was willing to give up pretty much as much as I needed to give up in equity and fees and everything else just to get that deal done. And, And that's what I did. And so I sliced off equity everywhere I had to. For, for my key principles, for my partners, but absolutely worth it at the end of the day. And how many sort of equity partners did you have to bring on that were not? 15. 15 total. Uh, 15 limited partners in the deal. Yep. Gotcha. And then how many of those were just sort of the 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 muscle? <laughs> Call them the, the guys like the key principles and the guys like Matt. I have four, four other general partners with me. So gotcha. one for the experience, one for the... The signing on the loans with me, one who was just another business partner of mine on the smaller stuff who was also involved in this deal. And then finally, I had another general partner who who's a longtime friend of mine, who was actually one of our private lenders on the flip that we did. And we paid him more on the flip than we made on the flip. So he was very happy. Also, I don't do flipping anymore. <laughs> but he came on, he had a lot of cash. And so he came on and actually put up our earnest money deposit because I wanted to make a strong offer. And I think I $200,000 up front, you know, not, it was refundable at some point, but I wanted to, you know, I wasn't trying to skim by with like a $50,000 deposit, knowing I had to overcome credibility and experience issues. So he came in for a small slice of equity. He just put his money in early. And if we didn't close on it, he would have gotten it back. But at least, but I gave up equity for that too. Well, and it's, it's something you know, it's important for people to understand that if you're, if you're jumping up from single family homes, or if you've caught the real estate bug and somebody has convinced you, ah, skip that single family stuff and just go straight to commercial, that you're going to get some sideways glances from commercial lenders and commercial brokers. If you've got no experience and you don't have a partner. So this is really probably something you're going to need to do is go out and find partners that have experience that are going to basically, you know, make the, make the banks not look at you cross-eyed. Absolutely. And I'll tell you one more that I we almost had to bring on, which was a local partner because the bank, they were fine. They liked that we had all the experience on the team and the money and all that. And they said, none of you guys live here. <laughs> none of you guys are within a six hour driving distance of where this property is. And so we actually had multiple lenders that turned us down just because of that because we did not have a local partner. And so we were in talks with our property management company that we're going to hire and trying to figure out, okay, can we bring you guys on? You live here in town. Thankfully, the lender we found did not need us to do that, but it was something that we were considering. I honestly even went and looked at homes in the area so that I could legitimately say like, no, I'm I'm touring houses here and considering my wife and I were considering moving. We hadn't said we were gonna definitely do that right there. But there was a point in time that I, if that was a way I had to get the deal done, yeah, I might sell my house in New Jersey and move to Virginia just to get that deal done. That's how focused I was on getting that thing done. Gotcha. And how did that deal turn out? Well, we still own it. We we struggled for a while, to be perfectly honest. We struggled with the management company that we had in place. We struggled with the speed of renovations. We struggled with the the expenses on the property. Water bills were way higher than we thought. And, um, you know, just top to bottom, really just struggled for a long time. We're two and a half years in. We, you know, basically as we were getting stabilized is when COVID hit. So that's, uh, you know, took us a year and a half basically to figure everything out. And then COVID hit. We've been struggling with some past due tenants. So thankfully, my investors are very patient with me and understanding of, of the process we're going through. 
we are exploring some refinance and maybe sale options right now, which might kick out a, a decent return to the investors. Not what I promised to them. I'm really ashamed to say that. But it, if I can get them some kind of return in this environment, you know, that might be the best option moving forward. Yeah. Okay. So you're fast forward to today. You're an, your, your primary role is as an asset manager. You said you've got 55 million in assets under management yeah. now, which is stunning to me. But for our for a layman out there, can you explain to somebody what an asset manager does? Yeah. So listen, from from that small scale of buying that that three million, two and two and a quarter million dollar property that maybe is worth a little over three now, you know, we that someone has to run the property. Someone and, and I'm not talking about the property manager, because the property manager handles the day-to-day of leasing, keeping informed with local regulations, maybe running the the repairs and maintenance and bring the vendors on site, you know, that that's all property manager level stuff. Asset management sits above the property manager and asset manager is responsible for running the business. Think of it as like a chief of operations for the company, because when you're buying assets, like the last one we just bought, was over $18 million. When you're buying an $18 million asset, you're buying a company, you're building a company. And so someone has to run that company. You can't just hand the keys over to the property manager and say, hey, good luck. I hope you guys do well with this thing. Somebody from ownership has to keep very, very close eye on everything that's happening at that property so that we can execute the business plan that we told our investors we were going to execute so we can get the returns we need to get and make the property successful. The other side of it is construction. On all of our properties, we do heavy value add. I'm sure your audience has heard value add, multifamily. That's what everyone is looking for. And, and that's what we do. We buy C-class assets, which are properties that are in rough shape. And they need heavy cash injections for units, for exteriors. We're actually spending more on the outside of this property than the inside of this property. And that that's everything from putting in new playgrounds to trimming trees to painting to parking and lighting and pools and top to bottom. So someone has to keep track of all of that. Someone has to direct the money to go in and out of the account to make sure the work is getting done on time to manage the flow. You can't just say to your property manager, hey, here's 4 million bucks, go have fun, <laughs> right? Someone has to direct all that. So that all of that comes under the purview of the asset manager. Got you. I mean, so it- Essentially, in in short, it's your job is to execute the business plan that you've set out when you acquire the property. One hundred percent, and make and make sure that it's being executed from the construction side and the property management spot side, and you know, uh, and everywhere well, in between, and, everywhere and then between, monitoring yeah. and reporting that back as well. And so it actually lines up very nicely with what I was doing as a project manager back when I was a project manager because someone that has to run the business, run the project, you set a project plan, you execute on the project plan, and then you report on how it's going. And that's really what an asset manager does. There's just a lot of moving pieces and people <laughs> who are living there in these properties. So we have to manage all of that. But yeah, it's uh, that's exactly what an asset manager does. And what does a typical business plan look like for you guys that you're trying to execute on? Yeah, so we want to come into a property that is... We typically buy properties that are in rough shape that have crime. We, you know, we get crime reports on every property that we're, we're looking at. And honestly, we're not really scared of that. As long as it's in an area, we want properties that are in an area that you would consider up and coming or is in a nicer area. We want the worst property in the, in a nicer area. I want the worst property on the street. And so within reason, because I, I want to be able to see a, a plan that I can get to be a nicer property. I need to be able to see that I can elevate what's happening there. Even if it takes three years, I want to be able to see that there is a path forward. Give an example. We are looking at a property right now. It's like one property in an, on the street. There's just, there's thousands of units on the street and I have no control over everything else that's happening except for this one property that we're looking at. I don't like that because I could do the best I can and improve that property but people are still going to know that street. They're going to see the other 900 units on that street. And if they're not taken care of, then no matter how nice my property is, I can't do anything. So I need a property that I can control the area a little bit, that can control the perception, the community. The community aspect of it is something 
that certainly is not spoken about enough, but it's something that is very, very important to us. We want to change the community feel of a property. So if a property is crime, dark, you know, it's a place where you go to buy things that you probably shouldn't be buying, right? That That's fine. That's fine for what that we want, but we want to be able to take it and get rid of that, get rid of the undesirable tenants, as we call them. We want to brighten the place up, lots of lighting, and take away all those dark corners where things are sold and uh, come in. And, and then those guys just leave. For month one uh, with this property, all we had to do was put lights in the outer, the wall packs on the outside of the building, brighten up our breezeways where there were high traffic breezeways, and tenants just walk on out. They just drop their keys off and they don't come back because that's bad for business. And that's fine with me. Mm-hmm. So we know how to do that. We want a property that has that rough shape. Then we can come in, put money into, so we clean up first. That's the first step. Then we come in and we invest in the units and we we make the units nicer and we want to step up to market. We don't, we're not trying to lead the market. We're not trying to be the best in the market. I just want to get to that market average. And so that actually means we have to do a lot of research on the comps. What are the other properties offering? Are they offering pools? Are they offering, are they really clean and quiet? Are they high rises? Like what, what's happening at the other properties? Cause I need to know from the perspective of a prospect, you know, they're looking at my property that has a bad reputation that, you know, maybe is on the upswing versus this other property that's nice and clean with a pool and everything else. We have to figure out a plan to meet or beat the amenities and the offering, but not exceed the price. So, so we build a plan around that so that we can get those tenants and those prospects in. We want highly qualified people who want to be part of a growing community, who see the turnaround and are willing to, to, to live in that area. Gotcha. Are there any, any properties that are just too rough for you that we will walk away from? Tough to say. We pretty much offer, there's a price, right? There has to be a price for every property because if it's, if it's bad enough and we have to fully clean house, then we have to plan on not having revenue come in. Right. And so I would say that, you know, we're not doing the worst of the worst in gang areas or whatever. I would say we're pretty, pretty comfortable with some uncomfortable areas. We have bought properties that have had shootings at them. Like that's not really going to scare us off, but yeah, if there's like a mass gang war going on, we're probably not going to buy there as probably most other people wouldn't. But uh, yeah, as far as CapEx, you know, there's a, there's a number to fix the unit. There's a number to fix the outside. There's a number to support, you know, an occupancy drop and and build back. So if we can model that out appropriately and get it for the right price, then we're, we're probably on board with it. So I've heard you use the expression tenant skips before, and I I have to ask, I have no idea what that term means. Can you enlighten me? I love when my tenants skip. A tenant skip is for me, I define it as a, a tenant just leaves. They just skip out on their rent and they just drop their keys and they walk away. And normally you would say, oh man, I'm losing, you know, a, a tenant that, that sucks. <laughs> but on, for me, I view that as an opportunity to bring in someone that wants to live there. Like if you, we have a property in Kentucky, we get skips, we probably get two skips a month on average and actually more in the fall. We have a lot of seasonal workers there. As soon as it starts to get cold, they kind of just drop their keys and, and leave and that's okay. Because they could make life very hard for me. And no matter how landlord friendly your your state city is, especially right now, given COVID, it's very tough to be a landlord. It's very tough to get an eviction. It's very tough to get any kind of money back from, from tenants that, that don't want to pay you right now. So if a tenant drops, drops the keys and skips out, that is helping me. Because now I have a unit that I can go in and renovate. Or if I already renovated it, maybe I just turn it, paint it put it back on the market with someone that I can then requalify. And hopefully they're going to pay me rent because I'm requalified. They're going through that qualification process. Gotcha. Gotcha. I had never, yeah. I had never heard the, I'd never heard the term before. So thank you for sure teaching me. So if you were forced to start over in multifamily where you are right now, knowing nothing that you know right now, how would you go about getting yourself educated? Relationships. It's, it's all about, I mean, first off, I'm listening to, to podcasts, but it's, for me, it's about relationships with people who are doing it. And that's how I've always learned every step along the way from, from the first single family to, to any, to asset management on, on multi-million dollar properties is 
who is doing that and how can I learn from them? And that's, that's really what it boils down to. How do I connect with them right now, virtually, but in person at conferences, how do I find, uh, I'll give you an example. There was one asset management talk at that conference that we went to earlier this year, right? Sure enough, I was waiting outside the door for when he exited the stage because that's the guy I wanted to talk to because he's doing it at a much larger scale than what I was doing. I was business card right here, right? We set a meeting. We we're going to go meet. Unfortunately, COVID hit. So we weren't, I wasn't able to go to his office, but I was literally going to go out of state, go meet this guy, learn from him because he's someone doing exactly what I want to be doing. So that's, that's how I best learn is, is identify what I want to do, figure out who's doing it. And then I just become their best friend. <laughs> I try to learn as much as I can from them. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it, it's true with mentorship. You know, we, we talk about this an awful lot. If you're, if you're somebody who's going to pay for mentorship, the first thing I tell people is make sure that the person you're, you're working with is somebody who's actually doing this strategy. Cause there's a lot of people, we talk about this all the time who did this strategy 10 years ago and then got either, you know, they made tons of money doing it, or they discovered they really weren't all that good at do ex- executing it. So they started teaching it. You don't, you want to stay away from those people, run away from those people. Find the people who are actually doing what you want to be doing and find a way to add value to them. You know, how can you help them? And in some cases, it's just literally just forking over some cash and having them mentor you. In other cases, it's, it's bringing them deals. It's bringing them capital. It's just finding some way to add value. Uh, uh, 100%. And if, if you have a minute, I'll, I can tell talk to you about that real quick because after, so I approached, so Matt mentored me through that deal and um, was very helpful on that 40 unit that we talked about earlier. Three months after I bought that deal, I lost my job. They, they did layoffs from the vice president on down. I'm no longer working. I wish I could say I bought my syndication and I rode off in the sunset and said, I'm out of here. It didn't happen that way. And so I'm hanging around Matt's office because I didn't know where else to go. So I'm just like, he's got a co-working space. I'm hanging around and he's like, Hey, I'm going to check out this other property. And I'm like, let me come. I'll pay my own way. Let me just see if I can help you out. How can I add value to you? Is there something, you know, he was talking about this problem with a contractor. I'm like, cool. I speak contractor. Like, let me, let me just come be another set of eyes. And that's exactly what happened. We went down to North Carolina, you know, I'm in one room negotiating with the contractor. He's in the other room talking to the property manager about something. And I'm just adding value with really no expectation. Like, this is like, I'm on a field trip. Like, this is awesome. I'm, you know, checking out this property that I've never, never would have considered I, I could have a piece of or be part of. And, you know, the, the literally the week after we get back, he's like, you know, there was value. Like, I added so much value that he realized, oh, I need an asset manager. Like he didn't realize that there was a need there. And suddenly now, you know, very quickly from there, I've got equity in that deal. And then we bought, you know, three assets the next year. And now here in 2020, we bought another one. And like, that's how quickly it grows just by saying, let me give with no specific expectation of return, see how I can add value because I was someone doing what I wanted to do. And let me see if, see what happens. And thank God it all worked out and, and things are going so great right now. But it all starts with that. Like, I didn't know that like going to the office that day and then throwing my hat in the ring and saying, yeah, I'll, I'll drive you. You take your calls while we're driving. I'll drive the whole way. Like, let me see how I can add value. And now, now we're partners on, like you said, over $50 million in real estate in, That's in two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way you do it, folks. I mean, you honestly, you know, you don't go on bigger pockets and, and start, you know, asking, Hey, who wants to mentor me? <laughs> don't, it's no. not the way it works. You know, go and find somebody in your area that's doing what you want to be doing and, and just go and, you know, hang out at their office and ask them how you can exactly. help. That's all it takes. I mean, don't really. be a pest, and, but you know, yeah. But, yeah. but add value, like don't add be value. a burden, even, yeah, yeah. even the question, like, let me know if you ever need anything. Like I get, I hear that from a lot of people. It's like, well, I, I don't know what you're good at. I don't know how to yeah. piece off part of my day and give it to you and decide what do I need from you? Like, how do I know if you're going to just go help me? Like if, if you can be smart enough to figure out how you can help me and you start adding value to me, then I'll realize that there's value there. Cause I'm a smart person. Like if, if someone is in the position you want to be in, they're smart enough. At least you think they are. So, so add value to them and they will see your value and figure out how you can be part of the team. 
Well, and I, I'm struggling with this right now. I don't know. You, you've mentioned that you work with a VA and once you start managing other people is a whole nother, like delegating becomes a whole nother skill set, a whole nother job. And it's something I've had to do just for the podcast. You know, I, I, I've started working with an editor. My editor's great, but it's a whole nother, like me figuring out how to communicate with them such that things don't fall through the cracks. And, you know, if I just had somebody come up to me and go, Hey, how can I help you? I'd be like, "Uh, I don't know. What can you do? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Well, then it's this whole conversation of like, Oh, I don't, what do I need? What are you good at? How do I know if you're good at it? If you just show me, like if I wanted to to learn from you and I had some editing skills, well, maybe I would start volunteering my time to to be around you, to be around the podcast, you know, in-person things like, okay, great. I'm adding value and there's a relationship that is starting to, to form and grow. Gotcha. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. So any podcasts or, or books besides your own or your partners that uh, that you you especially find value in? I've been having fun listening to, I'm trying to make a variety of podcasts that I listen to. Thankfully being in the position I'm in with my podcast, I've had a lot of other hosts. I mean, 2020, right? Everyone, if you didn't have a podcast, you started a podcast. There's so many out there, but I'm actually loving like being on other people's shows and then listening to their shows for a bit. And and so it's been great to sort of taste of this, taste of that. And so I honestly don't really have any one that I particularly go to, but if, if you search real estate on, uh, on iTunes, I probably listened to, to it, you know, just a little bit of everything, but I, I haven't really done any start to finish in, in a while. And I'm sorry to say that, you know, even bigger pockets has sort of fallen down the list and, and just try to listen to a wide variety of shows like yours. You know, there's so much good content out there now and, and especially not driving, not, not really commuting very much. It's like there's limited time for podcasts, but yeah, I, I like to listen to everybody's. Yeah. No, I, I find that I, you know, the only thing I, I stay away from are political podcasts. That was just, that was, you know, for about a one month, one month addiction that was not healthy at all. It's just not, <laughs> it's not just stay away. It's not it's, healthy. Yeah. Stay away from the news people. It's just, yeah. you know, um, any books, any books that you read that you thought were um, particularly helpful as you, as you dug into multifamily? Yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm a, big into the, uh, into traction, which is the entrepreneur operating system. And that's really helping me understand and frame how to scale our business because our, our growth has happened so quickly that there's been a lot of, you know, figure it out and get it done less, you know, intentional design system design process design. And so this year we had a gap you know, we didn't buy anything until October. And so a lot of the year was spent honing our processes and our systems. And, and that book is very helpful in helping you figure out all of that. Love that book. Love it. Yeah. Um, and uh, how much time would you say you're having to spend? I mean, I, I know you, this is your full-time job now, but how much time aside from the podcast, how much time are you spending on your investments each week? That's a great question. Because I am active in our investments, you know, sort of nine to five ish, you know, if, if you can consider a nine to five, but then it's also emails at night and phone calls and webinars and capital raising. And so it's really all the time. If you ask my wife, I'm sure she'll tell you my head is in my phone way too often. And, and usually it's not, you know, playing a game, it's answering emails at whether it's 530 in the morning or, you know, 1030 at night. So I try, I'm actually trying to have a little more balance and I try to be on during normal working hours and really trying not to take too many calls after that, but it doesn't really happen. I'll be perfectly, I'll turn myself in there. So I would say all the time, unfortunately, (laughs) but then there's things like, you know, the podcast that is not a direct, I'm working on my investments, but I am connecting. It's a, it's a form of networking for me. And so I'm connecting with other operators and I've gotten some really great tips from people in my podcast that I then go take and work on our business and I bring what I've learned and and apply it directly to our business. So I, it is work. It's more fun and creative type work, but it actually still is directly relevant. Yeah. The the dirty little secret about podcasts is that it's mostly for me in a way, because I get to, I get to talk to really, really successful real estate entrepreneurs and, and pick their brain for an hour. 
like like you or Matt or you know Joe Fairless, you know, sure. I, I, I couldn't pick up the phone. I mean, I could with you, not to say that you're not mm-hmm. big time, but you know, you're a busy guy. Yeah, it's fine. not. It's hard for me to go pick up the phone and say, "Hey, c- you know, can." can we have a cup of coffee for an hour? Can I take you for lunch? Yeah. And we can talk about yeah. real estate and be like, no, I don't have time. <laughs> yes. But honestly, not all the time. Right. There's, yeah. But I, I, I totally agree with your point. Like there, there's now an, an exchange. If I'm going to give you some of my time, but now you're giving me a platform and I'm reaching your audience yeah. and we promote each other. And there's like really no better excuse for a conversation than, Hey, let me have you on my podcast. Yeah. And it, and it's also, it's not, it's also in the age of COVID, you know, I'm not going to any RIA meetings. Correct. So this is the closest thing to a RIA. And, you know, you and I are both dads. So going, going to a RIA meeting once a week for yeah. three hours a night, you know, pretty much drove my wife crazy. Um, I really don't miss it, honestly. I don't miss I, the RIA meetings all that much All the time. Like my calendar was booked at least one night a week, sometimes twice. It slowed down when, when my second kid came along. But even so, like I was always, I run a meeting. I run a meeting here in New Jersey. and. I really don't. I like the webinars, even that. Now I'm like, oh, you want me on a webinar from seven to nine? I'm like, I'm gonna like getting, uh, I don't know, Jim. too too comfortable here. But you know, it's I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever go back. I'm sure I'll go to some, but not the way I was for sure. Yeah, I'd rather do this. I'd rather hang out with you, just yeah, like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can be a bit of a wallflower at big, you know, big meetings. And I, you know, so this usually the one-on-one stuff is, is more my speed anyway. Yeah. All right. Last question. You, your assets are sort of all over. You got them in North Carolina. You said Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, you're in New Jersey. What's the furthest, what's the closest asset to you and what's the furthest? Well, I still have one of my single families, which were under contract. Um, so that that's 30 minutes down the road, but multifamily would be my 40 unit. That is six hours away. And then the rest are eight hours away. And then Kentucky, I think is, I've never driven it, but it's 12 or 13 hours or something. So I always fly to Kentucky. Gotcha. Um, yeah. Third gotcha. plane right away. And how often, how often are you going to visit these assets? Uh, great question. And every asset, I think it depends on what we're doing at the assets. I, I love that we sort of buy in groups like we're, we're really focused on North Carolina and in Kentucky. So I can go to Kentucky and I can visit all of our properties over there. I can go to North Carolina and visit all of our properties over there. So I'm not like constantly flying around the country. So staying focused in our markets really helps with the asset management side and being visible and being at our properties. Our latest acquisition, I mean, I was there five times when we were doing due diligence alone and once a month since we've closed. Our other assets where we're sort of stabilized or done with our construction project, it might be every few months. I would love to be at our properties once a month. Um, But, you know, when you're not really doing construction and you're done with a lot of the heavy stuff and it might just be a unit renovation here and there, there's not as much need. But I also do have local partners in every market, people that I have that can drive by the properties for me. And um, even in Kentucky, we have a guy who just visits every other week. He visits our properties and, and does a little inspection report for me. So I do have eyes on our property pretty frequently. Gotcha. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. Uh, I'm not going to hold you to it and I'm not going to pass this right. on to your wife. But if your wife came to you, you know, tomorrow and said, Hey, I want to go, I want to go to, I'm going to go to Thailand for a month. Have you, do you kind of have an idea of what you would need to do in order to, to make that happen and still keep your business running? That's a great question. I really love that question um, because it really makes you think about how involved you are in the system. And that goes back to traction and, and a lot of the systems that we're building and how involved am I in the day-to-day of our business? I mean, I do all of our work remotely anyway, so it, it wouldn't impact like the work that we do, except for the fact that I'd be up all night doing it, I guess, since I'd have to sort of work US hours. So we could pull that off. But if I'm in Thailand, I kind of want to go enjoy Thailand too, right? So so how do I pull myself out? I have two assistants right now, one on the podcast, one on more business process stuff. So as they grow and, and get more experience, and I'll probably bring on another assistant uh, pretty soon because we have big goals for 2021 that will require another asset manager to be in the U.S. and work underneath me. So I, I'd love to be able to, to grow and have someone that could take over. But for now, it would just be me grinding through the nights probably. <laughs> gotcha. No, yeah. and it is, it is a, 
you know, it's something I, I struggle with as well, which is, you know, when, until you start to really think about, okay, how could I really like really disconnect for a while? And it's not, it's, it forces you to think about, you know, what you would need to do, you know, with people, uh, I'm reading a great book right now called who, not how. Yeah. And have you heard of it? I just, you're the second person this week that, that I mentioned that. And so I, I, I gotta go buy it right now. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say, <laughs> I'll say it's not a great book. Okay. Uh, it's, it's kind of, it's the kind of book where it's a kind of, and I'm, I'm, my apologies to the author. It's the kind of book that probably would have been great as sort of more of a pamphlet, but the concept I think is fantastic, which is when you're, when you're procrastinating on something, if you've had something on your to-do list, for months and months, it probably means you're not the person that needs to do it. And you should be thinking to yourself, who can I get to either do this for me, help me with it, you know, whether it be paid a mentor. Yeah. I mean, that's basically just who don't stop thinking about how can I do this? How can I figure out how to do this? Start thinking about who can I get to do this? And now, now obviously there's certain things that, you know, that I need to be directly involved in. There's certainly things that you need to be directly involved in, but there are things where, you know, especially as you start to grow, you need to start thinking about, you know, who can I get to help me, help me with this. And it's just a, it's a higher 100%. And that's actually totally agree. I love the concept. That's why I brought on my second VA because every uh, Tuesday morning I have a team call and I report out on, all of our KPIs, like what's our occupancy, how much money we brought in, all this. But I have to take that data from my property manager's reports and get into a dashboard that we have. And it was taking me like two hours every Monday. But then, of course, I didn't do it on Monday. So I was waking up early on Tuesday because our meetings at 9 a.m. And like I was constantly stressed about it. And so that alone, I was like, who? I hired someone just like that was the first thing and only thing on their list. I'm like, we'll find more for you to do. But I need this one thing taken off my plate. So now they do it. And I don't have to stress about it. And by the way, they're busy now 40 hours because I've got tons of other things that I can push onto that person and frees me up to do things like talk to you. Yeah, gotcha. Well, Justin Frazier, thank you so much for sharing with us today. You've got, yeah. uh, you've got the, the podcast. Uh, yes. What, uh, w- is that pretty much the best way for people to find you? Yeah, absolutely. The website is truemultifamily.show. The podcast is truemultifamily. We talk about uh, the operations of a multifamily property. So I have guests on that are excellent asset managers and all my guests come on and tell me a story that we can all learn from, whether it's positive or negative. And, and that's the best way for me to learn is by others' mistakes, by other successes. And so we talk about what happens after you close on the property, the wins and the losses and all that juicy stuff. So that that's what gets me going. That's what I'm excited about is, is how to be better operators and, that's what we talk about on true multifamily. So check me out there. All right. Well, listen, thanks again for sharing with us today. It was so great catching up with you. I look forward to actually, you know, seeing you again in person someday. Absolutely. Love to love to. All, All right. right thanks, Thank Justin. you. See ya. Bye. Okay. That was Justin Frazier from true multifamily. Uh, you can check him out in his podcast over at true multifamily.show. I highly, highly recommend you do that. If you have any interest in, in what it's like to manage a large multifamily asset. Justin knows his stuff. So for me, the biggest lesson learned here was, and this is going to be with our knowledge as well, which is that focus on relationships. You know, if you're trying to learn how to, how to do self-storage or how to do short-term rentals or how to do large multifamily, find someone who is doing that and find a way to add value. And don't, again, don't, don't expect them to figure out what you can do for them. You need to just do it. You know, as Justin talked about, you know, don't, don't come to me and say, Hey, what can I do for you? And, and it's the same for me, because that creates a whole nother conversation. It's just like, I don't know, what can you do? What are you good at? Um, What do you like doing? And, and just find a way to add value to other people. That's really what it comes down to. And and that's really what Justin did with Matt Faircloth. He was unemployed and had time. Uh, he didn't have money, didn't really have knowledge, but he had time and he offered his time and what experience he did have to Matt and just said, Hey, listen, let me, let me drive. You can sit there and do phone calls. 
you know, and then when he got there, he realized that, you know, he could communicate with the contractor, talk to the contractor. And from that, that's how, um, you can be around those people who are doing it and you will learn. And that's really, you know, that's probably the quickest way to acquire knowledge in this business. Money. How much money did it take him to get started? Well, his, on his first 40, 41 unit apartment complex, uh, he had to put, uh, about 40 to $50,000 of his own money, but the rest, he raised the capital and he brought on partners. And that's, again, that's one of the powers of syndication and you can get in for not a lot of money. It's mostly, you know, sweat equity, finding the deal and putting it together. How much time, time? He said, this is more than a full-time job. He's pretty much doing this all the time when he's not podcasting. Um, he is answering emails. He's uh, communicating to his assistant. He's an asset manager and it is a full-time job. Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? That was kind of a mixed bag there. You know, his properties are, some are as far as 12 hours away. Some are closer. Uh, he, he would like to be visiting them at least once a month. If he were forced, if his wife forced him to go to Thailand for four months, he said he could probably do it, but it would probably mean that he's just up all night working on U.S. time. So, all right. Once again, that was Justin Frazier from True Multifamily. And uh, we certainly enjoyed having him. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.